0: Chapter 3 Deception Origination The logical place to begin the search for the origin of our religious roots is, of course, Genesis, where we find an event recorded that totally altered the course of humanity. In fact, all of our current world political and religious problems can be traced straight back to that one event. Unfortunately, that event has been reduced to little more than empty fables by the passage of time. Plus, bad translating and missing information such as the advent of the watcher angels found in the book of Enoch has reduced the most important event in history to a story of a snake tricking Adam and Eve into eating a forbidden apple, resulting in their eviction from paradise. Sadly, the compilers and translators' rendition of the bits and pieces compromising Genesis 1 through 6 has left mankind woefully ignorant of the actual reason we are in the present condition we are how we got this way, and what our future will be. Amazingly, most all those questions can be largely answered with a proper rendering of Genesis. To set the stage that is of understanding, we must realize the two trees in the Garden of Eden were not literal trees at all, but metaphors of supernatural beings. We can know this because of what we find in Ezekiel 31. What we find there, beginning in verse 9, I, Yahweh, that is the Creator, made it, that is the chief tree in the garden, beautiful with a multitude of branches, so that all the trees of Eden envied it, that were in the garden of Yahweh. Therefore, says Yahweh, because you have increased in height, and you set your top among the thick boughs, and your heart was lifted up in pride, therefore I will deliver you into the hand of the Mighty One, that is Michael of the nations and he will surely deal with you. I have driven you out, apparently heaven, for your wickedness. Note, in Hebrew the gender he, she, or it are determined by context which the translators got a little confused in those verses. But in those verses we see this chief tree in Eden developed a problem with pride and vanity. It was subsequently driven out for its wickedness. Let's be honest, literal trees are neither wicked nor mobile to be driven out, or anywhere for that matter. Obviously, tree is a metaphor for a great living being. Well, Getting back to Genesis 3, in verse 1, we find a reference to a reptile, which was translated serpent, but the Hebrew word for this creature is Nahash. Strong's exhaustive dictionary shows two of the meanings of Nahash, to be hiss or whisper, but primarily has the meanings of shining one, as in brass, plus divine and or enchanter. Nahash is also translated seraph in Numbers 21. Seraphim, which is the plural for seraph, are the wind creatures or angels mentioned in Isaiah 6. In fact, the Creator's personal entourage were seraphim, also referred to as burning ones. The reason the translators translated Nahash serpent is because of a later connecting of his or whisper to The creature. Well, that may work in some passages, but the curse levied upon this Nahash creature shows the rendering of serpent is a grossly improper rendition of Nahash. When we see the Nahash cursed, or at least its protégés, to crawl on its belly, it was a result of the curse, not what it was before. Serpent is what the dragons became, not what they originally were. It says there in Genesis 3.14, Because you, that is the Nahash, have done this, you are... More cursed than every beast of the field, and you shall now eat dust all the days of your life. Again, for the curse that is crawling on its belly to mean anything, it could not have been on its belly before. Plus, Nahash is also a name for seraphim, or angels, which had both legs and wings. We find backup scriptures for the one in the garden in Revelation 12:3, where it is called Serpent of Old and Fiery Red Dragon. Plus, we find a perfect description of a flying, fire-breathing dragon called Leviathan in Job 41 as well. If we're willing to believe the Bible, that is, Revelation 12 and Job 41, we have to acknowledge and accept that dragons were or are real. This one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis was just that, a dragon. Again, just to clarify this, watch your dragon spirit is not the one that actually lost its wings and legs, but its protégé, the physical dragons. All the spirit watcher creatures have physical reflections of type, which in this case of the dragon were cursed to become snakes. Considering this dragon's pride referred to in Ezekiel 28 and 31, you can bet it was sporting a monstrous grudge against the creator in the garden for its losing the war in heaven and being thrown to earth. Getting back to Genesis 3, before Adam and Eve were coerced into embracing the reptile, that is, its way of life and philosophies, we need to notice the immortal lie the Nahash used to derail or bring death to mankind. We see in verse 3, Eve is quoting Yahweh's command not to eat or partake or even touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest they die. Ironically, they already had immortality within their grasp, but lost it by partaking of that forbidden tree that is, the dragon fruit. Bearing in mind the fact that Adam and Eve already had access to immortality, that is, the tree of life, what could that creature possibly have said to coerce them into accepting or embracing death instead? Well, if we play close attention, we see two things in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. There it says, Now the Nahash was more cunning than any beast of the field which Yahweh had made. And it said, or spoke to the woman, as Yahweh indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the Nahash, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Yahweh said, has said, you shall not eat or partake of, lest or even touch it, lest you die. And the Nahash said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, or gods, knowing good and evil. Do you notice the clever way this crafty creature convinced our foreparents it was the creator Yahweh who was lying, and they were actually, they actually possessed immortality already? I call it the immortal lie, because as Adam and Eve discovered, only too late, it was the seraph creature that was lying, not Yahweh. Of course, that immortal lie is t- taken on a slightly new twist in order to justify the fact that everyone is actually dying. After all... Is it only a coincidence every major religion on earth agrees on only one thing? That one thing is the immortal lie first delivered in the garden. Perpetuated by all religions to this day only now called the immortal soul. But the Creator Yahweh tells us in Ezekiel 18 20 the soul that sins shall die. Not just change places. The real issue here is not only to identify the lies but the liar. And you can bet that liar and its lies are alive and well even after all those thousands of years. The other part of that lying speech articulated by the dragon or the Nahash was the bait to get Adam and Eve to accept its lie. That bait with the monstrous hook Adam and Eve swallowed is they would be like the gods, not only immortal, but with vast knowledge. To top it off was to have the ability to decide for themselves what is good and or evil. That considered, isn't it amazing to so prevalently see still today how people hate being told or instructed what to do, even by the Creator Himself. Consequently, believing we just change places or are recycled, i.e. reincarnated, in essence means we can basically do what we want. That's such an incredibly seductive lie, virtually impossible to refuse. But that thought brings us to the basis of this manuscript. Uh, we've been consistently lied to and taught to lie, and to ourselves most of all. Let's not forget Hitler's admonition. If you want people to believe you, tell them a lie. A greater truism has never been uttered. It seems Adam and Eve opened a Pandora's box and released a lying spirit on all mankind. Pan, by the way, is the Roman all-gods-in-one-god, which is a source of the name Pandora, whose box contained all the evil spirits of the world. With that in mind, a very interesting statement is found in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, where it says, "...and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie." A 6th century B.C. general named Sun Tzu wrote a handbook on war called The Art of War. His most quoted advice was, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. What that means is, if we don't know who our enemy is or what they're doing, we've already lost a battle, if not the war. That's such important advice. A subject more fully addressed in the grand Transdimensional illusion. A must-read, in my humble opinion if we're to understand anything of what is happening all around us. Again, the chief strength of an adversary is to keep their identity and their agenda secret from those they intend to conquer, exactly as they did to conquer the world using their crown virus. Because we as a nation didn't keep our enemies close, we lost knowledge of who they are and their agenda, and the battle to keep our freedoms was lost.